Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the DJ Sessions Presents the Virtual Sessions. I'm your host, Darren, and right now I'm in the virtual studios in Seattle, Washington, as always, but soon to be around the world. And my guest coming in from Toronto, Canada, Alexandra, how are you doing today? Hey, I am great. Thank you for having me here today. Absolutely. I was checking out one of your latest mixes on SoundCloud. I'm about 49 minutes and one second in. I got to say, it is setting my mood for the entire weekend. I'm such a huge fan of house music, deep house, tech house. And I was just like, okay, I think when I finish my interviews, my work for the day, it's martini time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) TGIF. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the DJ sessions. It's a pleasure here. Uh, giving a little, getting into a little bit of background on you. Uh, you've been DJing for quite a while now, uh, about 20 years. And yeah. um, you started in high school on vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> not, I mean, nowadays the barrier to entry of, of, of getting into DJing is a lot less complicated. And, and oh, yeah. some of the things that, you know, I, I like to bring up and remember that you know, that I don't think DJs know of nowadays is that a, a track gets released on Beatport. A million downloads could happen to that track. A million people could have that on a flash drive, in their repertoire, in their library, ready to go like ammunition. But going back to those vinyl days, if there were only 10,000 copies of that album or 50,000, and that was it worldwide, that was your arsenal. What's the transition been like for you over the years going from a vinyl DJ to an electronic I'd say a, a, an upgraded technological advancement in your <laughs> career. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's been an interesting journey. Like you said, like, you know, vinyl, it was, it was so unique. Um, and you also really need to, needed to know how to beat match. <laughs> um, so I, I was on vinyl for many years, and then I made the transition to CDJ 1000s. Um, which I had up until very, very recently. I still have one left just behind me over there uh, just because, you know what, I think it's good to just have a CD player because I think that's my only CD player that I own, technically. Um, And I made the switch to Traktor just for, like, my home studio here uh, in, like, November 2021, like, just not, not too long ago. I, I was pretty resistant to the change. Um, plus, I was just uh, like, I was just happy with my home studio. But I finally was like, all right, time to like get with the get with the the new age way of DJing. And um, with Tractor, I just find I can be creative in other ways. Like, um, I love I always loved having more than two decks. Like having a third deck for like loops or samples or vocals. Um, acapellas like it, it was always fun mixing on the fly at clubs with three decks because I didn't have three at, at my home studio ever um, so I would just kind of <clears throat> it, and it always seemed to work out well um, so now with tractor I'm, I'm kind of like using all the additional features and the and the different ways to be creative with the mixes yeah when we first started the show um, I had friends of mine I had to borrow gear I didn't have my own DJ gear. I was relying on the DJs that would come by the show. I had all the video gear and that was my passion, but I, I was in 30 years of nightclubbing. I've never taken up a passion to actually DJ. 
Uh, although I do own my own gear now for all my shows and I could be learning, but I have so much other work going on that I'm like, I don't have time for that. But no, we started on the show. It was um, one of our resident DJs who just came back on the series because we started about 13 years ago, um, uh, Dark Mark. He was kind of getting out of the game and um, he's like, I got to sell my DJ gear off. And he sold me, it was a 900 mixer, two CDJ 1000s and a JBL monitor speaker for like 500 bucks. And I said, hey, just to know, because you gave me this really kick-ass deal a few, you know, to help start the shop, you will be a permanent resident DJ of the DJ sessions. And just, you know, life is the way things go. You know, he had to wake up. But guess what? I still have those CDJ 1000s under my bed in storage. Yeah. <laughs> like, you should keep them. <laughs> and I think they still work. Um, and, you know, obviously seeing the progression of the 1000s, um, you know, then the, the 900 series came out and it was kind of flash drive only, you know, and then the 2000s came out and now the 3000s are out. We actually use the RX2 and the RR. It's just a nice compact, like all in one model. Bring your flash drive, drop it in. You're good to go. Um, there's a number of outputs on the back and the RX3, I think just came out as well. But the progression of technology moves really fast in DJ land. I mean, you know, it's, it's It'd be awesome to see a revival of vinyl coming back, but it's always the technical capabilities. And is somebody bringing techniques that work? <laughs> you know, uh, are they tuned up? Are they ready to go? How many DJs nowadays have vinyl or know how to play vinyl? Because it is an art form. It is not something to be toyed with and just jump in. And, uh, you know, I remember going, hanging out at my friend's house and he had his whole vinyl collection. And all he'd ever want to do is like, Darren, I'm coming over. I'm spinning some vinyl tonight. And that's that was his thing that he wanted to do it wasn't about throwing a major party or, or having a bunch of people come over it's just i just want to spin on vinyl and just play yeah. these records so um but yeah like you know technology moves up and you gotta kind of adapt with the times and now your setup is instead of a coffin and a bunch of crates a little controller you can take and yeah. it in. there you go um what has been your most fruitful life decision when it comes to being a dj and, 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 and fruitful life decision as far as kind of advancing your career or making your career happen as a DJ? I think um, just take, like accepting all the gigs that came my way. So, um, you know, obviously my dream or ideal gig situation is like a nightclub on a weekend, uh, peak time with, you know, great sound and a great DJ booth. But that's not always the case. It's not always like, you know, what what you're expecting or, or glamour or like, I would also get booked a lot um, around the province of Ontario here. So not just in downtown Toronto, but I would like travel, you know, I would drive hours around to different cities, different university cities and play um, different clubs there. So um, while it was like the peak slot, because I was like the headliner guest, um, the crowd was a lot, a lot different than, you know, you'd get here, uh, downtown. So I would kind of have to play, uh, maybe a little more commercial, maybe some like remixes of tracks people know or recognize or vocals. I can't always just go like tech house bangers kind of thing. Um, so I think by not like turning down gigs like that and, and keeping an open mind to that, I kind of did expand like my fan base and my reach. Um, and that also allowed me to, I guess, book more shows when I was traveling a lot more. And did, were you kind of a one 
person operation and handled everything from booking to PR to, you know, all that? Or were you ever working with somebody or did you start working with somebody early on or, and have a team or, or do you have a team? You have a team now, but um, did you start with a team in the beginning? Uh, in the very beginning, it was, yeah, it was mostly myself kind of managing everything. And um, I am like marketing savvy. That is like my background too. So I was like promoting myself on, on all the different channels. And when social media became a thing, <laughs> um, I was able to kind of, you know, obviously use that um, to get my name out there more. Um, as I kind of uh, got more popular, um, like in the, like way, like way before COVID times, um, I did work with a booking agent, Sasha. What up, Sasha? Uh, <laughs> he was awesome. So uh, he, he did uh, help a lot with managing all my bookings. Um, and I currently have um, uh, a booking agent as well. Awesome. But and you, a lot of the work is coming from me. <laughs> and on top, of that, <laughs> on top of that work, uh, you work a full-time job, corporate job on, on Bay Street, which is the yeah. equivalent to Toronto. That's Toronto's kind of Wall Street. Yeah. And, and you work for a tech advertising company. Um, what defines success for you? Because you do a lot of things other than just DJing. You mean your full-time career. We'll talk about your active out sporting career as well your sports career and yeah. your dj career but what defines success for you i think success is uh being happy like it's as simple as like being happy in your own skin and in your own life and your own choices um so whatever that passion is or whatever brings you joy um for me i I have a lot of passions and I'm juggling a lot of things, which sometimes uh, is very challenging because there's only so many hours in a day and I really need to fix my sleep patterns because I'm struggling right now. Um, but yeah, success, I think, yeah, it's just being able to do what you love to do and being happy with it and having some sort of income from that so you can be sustainable. <laughs> You know, one of the things that I, I often listen to, I usually listen to at least once a year. Uh, are you familiar with the philosopher Alan Watts? No. He, there's a good video online that I listen to, and it's something I try to tell people, um, and I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit, but Alan Watts has this, there's a video on YouTube, and it's look up, what do I desire? And it's really a good thing for people when they need focus or what they're looking for, what they want to do in life. And Alan Watts does this great monologue on talking about, you know, the advice that he gives to these vocational students um, when they're saying, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that, but you can't make any money doing that. And, and what Alan, I won't ruin it for anyone. I don't want to spoiler alert it, but it's something that is one of the most inspiring messages. And in the end, he basically says, you know, find something that you like doing and, and go for it. And then you'll find others that also like it. And then possibly you'll become an expert and you'll become knowledgeable about this so much that you can maybe earn a fee for doing what you love. You know, um, it's just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, what do I desire by Alan Watts? Um, I'm going to go listen to that today. Anyways, uh, yeah. So, um, who has been your biggest influence when it comes to your career as an artist, and why? 
do you are you talking specific like DJs or DJs, yeah, DJs, DJs and artists, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess if I kind of go back to um when I was even in elementary school, when I was first introduced to house music, um it was actually my brother. He's he's a lot uh he's a lot older than me, so he was already I think he might have been in I don't think he was into DJing yet, but he was into electronic music and house music and he burned me some CDs, house and uh, drum bass. And he's like, here, <laughs> listen <laughs> to these. And I kind of fell in love. And then I discovered Bad Boy Bill, <laughs> uh, Bang in the Box Volume 5. That was that, I was like, oh my gosh, like just the energy, the flow, like the transitions, the, the vocals or the, the acapellas layering everything. Um, just the vibe. I was obviously younger, so like the high BPM was like I, I liked it. Um, but that what that kind of set me on a path that I knew that okay, this is my this is my jam. Like I like <clears throat> dance music. Like um, I like a lot a lot of different styles of music, but like like electronic music really kind of it shined a light. Um, so like early influence, uh, definitely Bad Boy Bill and. John, uh, Sasha and John Digweed, um, their albums that, and their mixes. So they're a little different, like more progressive, dark, um, their mixes were like two minutes long, um, which I love. Uh, so those were like my really early influences, um, in terms of, of music, obviously like deep dish Daft Punk as well. Um, and then in the more like current, um, influences, I'd say, um, Mark Knight, uh, Rufus Dussault. I'm like obsessed with them. Their, their music is amazing. They were in Toronto, uh, earlier this summer and their show was spectacular. Um, and like Lee Burridge as well for like deep house vibes, um, rudimental. There's, there's so many like great influences. And you've been backstage at a lot of events Who's the most inspiring person you've ever met backstage? And tell us why this person inspired you. Interesting question. Um, the thing, like, while I've been backstage, you don't always get to meet the stars. <laughs> so I've been, like, in the vicinity, but I haven't had the opportunity to really get to know too many, like, um, a-list DJs on a personal level. Um, so I'm not sure if I can really pinpoint <laughs> one exact name. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I know it, it does sometimes they, you know, you're playing a gig and I, I used to have to deal with this all the time when doing on-site interviews. You know, the artist comes in and you get five to seven minutes with them before they have to go on stage. And then if usually they're, if they finish their set, they're going back to the hotel room. They're tired. They've been flying, traveling. So you don't want to do a set with them after their, after their gig. And they also might've been partying a little bit. So they don't want to be on camera and like, well, slur on words or, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, I can understand how, yeah, that may be hard to kind of meet people because there's always a lot of, there's a lot of chaos that goes on backstage. But I don't think people in front of house actually see what's happening in back of house. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and they're how, about to perform, right? So they're they're busy, like, and they're in a whole different mindset. Have, yeah, yeah, when I have to, when I'm on next, like I, 
you know, for me, there's always a bit of nerves. There's always nerves you're performing. You don't want to mess up. Like, even though most people probably won't even know, well, it depends what club you go to, but, uh, it's and it always turns out great as soon as you get that first transition done it's like smooth sailing <laughs> do you still get nervous when you when you get on stage yeah it's always before just before oh. like the day of or like leading up to it and and then and then like like i said once you kind of get that first mix out of the way or you mix out of the other dj's track um <laughs> and then you're like you're just feeling the music and the music kind of takes over and you used to be a former resident resident at Government Nightclub. I mean, this is one of the most legendary Canadian super clubs. And I recently just got introduced to super clubs by going to New York and going to the Brooklyn Mirage um, last year. And I'd never been to a super, super club. I mean, this is like super club. Tell us about your experience and how you got involved with that nightclub, with Government. Yeah, so the Gov, like you said, legendary um, – legendary venue in, in Canada. Um, and yeah, I became a resident there for a few years. Some of the flyers behind me are from the Gov. Um, every time I saw a flyer, I'd just kind of take it off the wall, <laughs> uh, take it with me. Um, but yeah, like I, I was a resident there. I played in, in so there's many rooms in, in the oh. Gov there. Um, the main one being called the government. Um, and then there's, uh, I was resident in the gallery and the asset lounge. Um, so I kind of like flip flop between those two rooms. And those, those are just like such amazing times. Like even just as like a, a party goer, like you had so many options of sounds, vibes, uh, and they even had like a hip hop room as well. Um, and it was just, it was just great. I think just being on the circuit and just kind of just being recognized, you just kind of like get in and, and then my booking manager at the time, Sasha was also helping me um, with like managing all, all my schedule and, and uh, uh, balancing the, the, the gov related gigs um, and the other venues they had with also just the outside gigs that I would book like the out of town ones. It sounds like a, a venue that was after my heart. I am a huge foodie and my biggest thing that I like to do is go to an all you can eat buffet and so you get multiple rooms or multiple tastes of music or flavors, and which actually got me into the silent concert, silent disco business. Yeah. And I love that because I, we do silent disco events and being able to have kind of a, a, a menu or a selection of music in one place and, let, and seeing everyone kind of get to groove and get into their own vibe it's just really awesome. And we're one of the, we're one of the companies that has, um, we started with four channel headsets. Now we have seven channel headsets and we've upgraded to doing what's called silent concerts. And we're looking at doing silent festivals with 2000 or more headsets, uh, here rolling out in 2023. Yeah. With headliner acts and everything. So, um, I just, I just like the, you know, you go to a nightclub and granted you're there and the music's great, but you're stuck with that music. And, um, very far and few between have there been nightclubs in Seattle where they had multiple rooms. And uh, there was one a long time ago called the, um, oh, well, it was Weathered Wall when I was a kid sneaking into clubs growing up at <laughs> nine years old. I don't but, know anything um, about that either. <laughs> later on, I think it was called, I think it was called I Spy later on. And it had two floors 
the main concert floor was kind of cool, but then they had like an acid jazz lounge upstairs with a bar. And that was like the cool, you go up there and you just chill and have a drink and talk with your friends. But if you want to go downstairs to the second floor or the third floor and party, that was where the jam was. And it really felt like it had this kind of New York underground vibe to it, which was just amazing. You don't get that much anymore. Um, you know, with the whole kind of commercial overtaking of electronic music, it's kind of like, okay, pack them in, light show, LED walls, let's go. Um, but, you know, going to a, a super club like the Brooklyn Mirage, I, I will I will talk about this forever and ever and ever, but there's another nightclub I got to go to. I was planning to go to New York this September and had to push it off. Lots of stuff coming up because we're going to ADE this year, which is going to go probably for my mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what an experience to be part of something like that um, and, and be there in that, that part of history. Um, when you would go on stage back then or now, do you become a different person when you get on stage than you are off stage? Um, maybe a little bit. Um, I think once I kind of get in the groove and you just, and the music kind of takes over, I think I might come out of my shell a little bit more. Um, but I also am very like focused at the same time. Like I take my craft very seriously. Um, and I'm probably the most critical on my, on myself. Like I want to make sure my mixes are like perfect and smooth. Um, and, uh, so I try to kind of get out of my shell a little bit, but I'm still like super focused and like, know everything that's going on. <laughs> yeah. And if you could change one thing that bothers you about the electronic music scene, what would that be? And how would you go about it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> hmm. Uh, I mean, I find, I think with most scenes or most uh, businesses, there's a level of politics involved. Um, it's sometimes it's more about who you know versus what you know. So I think me if if I could impact that somehow, that would be great. Um, but I feel like that's just a part of life. <laughs> and as much as like you'd want that to kind of maybe be more fair or more representative, um, I think it's just something that will always be there. But that would be something cool that I would like to, if, if we could change something, I think that's what I would say. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, what I've seen in the last 30 years of, of nightclubbing or going out in the scene is definitely the nepotism or the, the what's called the good old boys club. And, you know, um, and one of the things here at the DJ sessions, when I started the show um, in the early, the first couple months, I wanted to focus on local DJs. That was the original premise of the show and give the local DJs. Um, well, there's also not only the politics, you have the rival crews that, that, you know, you're yeah. throwing a show and you're throwing a show and there's the, like I, here, you can't play there. I've been in that situation too, where I had to turn down a main room gig at a major nightclub because of yeah. conflict of interest, even though yeah. I wasn't working that night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, not only the conflict of interest, but part of the territory. Yeah, exactly. I, I used to look at it like gang warfare, basically. And one of the original concepts of the DJ sessions, there was like a couple of different mission statements was one, 
I wanted to bring those crews together and have them kind of break bread and be on the show because we would do our show on Wednesday nights. We wouldn't do it on the weekend. So in the middle of the week, we'd invite everyone to come by. We could talk about what they were doing. They could break a bread, have a beer, you know, chit chat and really kind of maybe make some peace in the environment and do good there. The number two thing that we would do is it would always remain what I call an open table policy, which means if you wanted to come play on the show, you had a passion for playing music, you were halfway decent and knew what you were doing, and you wanted to have fun, come by and book the show. We've maintained that open table policy since this day. There are no politics um, with the DJ sessions because we want to make sure everybody's getting a chance to get out of the bedroom and play. And, and, you know, going back to that silent disco technology I was telling you about, when most people do an event, there's one stage. Most of the time, there's one stage. Yeah. Well, now I can set up seven stages if I wanted to. And, and in four hours, I could have, you know, 14 DJs come and play two-hour sets. And I could stream that all live, and I could record it all, and then upload it and put it online, you know. I love it. <laughs> Just give people that opportunity to you know, come and play and, and a network and work with other DJs without the politics. The only politics I will say is if somebody goes out there and slanders my name or is mean to me, well, I'm never going to invite you on the show. Why would I want to work with you? You know, and I think that I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky kind of person. There might be some people with opinions out there that don't agree with that. <laughs> but, you know, um, I, I take a big stance against uh, bullying and trolling and, and the politics. I, I've, I've been very vocal about the politics in the scene and the nepotism in the scene that it's kind of made me some ardent fans, but that's okay. I love music. I love giving everyone a chance and, you know, we're growing and interviewing and talking with people like you that, you know, have a background. And I think you're right. Politics is a huge thing. I wish there was a way to change it. And I don't know how I would go about that. The only way I saw I could counter that was to start a series and say, everyone's invited to come play. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure like that, that's great. And it's, it's definitely going to like cause impact and, and mm -hmm. help the situation for sure. Yeah. There was a question I wanted to take from a viewer right now. And it just, the chat room is moving a little fast and here we go. It was, I know it's going so fast. Okay. It was, here's one coming in from um, Ella Webb and they asked, are bigger crowds better than smaller crowds? Uh, maybe a little. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to play to an empty dance floor. I mean, we've all mm -hmm. done it, um, especially if you're the opening act and you have mm -hmm. to set the stage. You can't come out and play bangers. Um, but I mean, I love playing to a like a big dance floor, um, just with with lots of people and the vibe. But in terms of if it's like size, but it's like filled with people, I'm happy either way. If it's like 50 people or like 500, but it's respective of the room you're in, like, I think that's that's what I care about. It's more about the, the vibe and the crowd uh, versus like, oh, I, I only want to play to like 500 people. Like, yeah. like I throw parties here at my, at, my, at my place here sometimes and we can maybe get 30 or so people in here. Um, but, and, and, and that's all that matters. It's, it's just the vibe. I'm going to bring this question in. It's right from LO Web again, right behind that. Just saying, would you play a party where only 20 people showed up for? Would you finish your set and make it a hell of a, par make it a, hell of a party? Or 
give an example. And I think you just actually answered that question, which is just yeah. kind of perfect time. Like, thank oh, you, yeah. Web. I well, appreciate that. finish my set. Even yeah. if there's no one there, I'm going to finish my set. It's what I'm there for. Um, hopefully, I'm recording it. Um, <laughs> like, if I either have my, my tractor with me or uh, my external recording device, because then I have a recording. So I would absolutely finish my set. I don't think I've never not finished a set or or left a gig or anything like that. I've not gotten paid before, but that's different. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the best experience you've ever had behind the DJ booth. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. I wish I had some of these questions ahead of time to think. Nope, that's why we don't send <laughs> questions ahead of time. Best experience in the DJ booth. Um, actually, Dead House came up twice. <laughs> Uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, he came up before he was actually Deadmau5, before he was famous. Uh, I believe he was under the alias BSOD, and he had, like, a number one track on Beatport. I was playing somewhere downtown Toronto. I don't even know where. It wasn't any big party. Um, and I think he – I think I played his track because I, I was I was loving it. And, uh, and that was the first time we met. And then when I played <clears throat> at Freedom, which is – how do I, this flyer right here, <laughs> that's uh, the Freedom Party at the Gov. Um, I actually played in the Orange Room, which is one of the bigger rooms, which um, was the hip hop room. But on on long weekends, the Gov would always have their big party. I believe it's probably the, the Sunday nights. Um, and it was, all the rooms were electronic, different styles of electronic music. So I was actually in the Orange Room that night. Um, and Den Mausa, and he was already Den Mausa famous so he was out he was there partying I don't he wasn't performing that night but he came uh in the booth again and, and we have like a photo together so that was cool right on yeah um, when you're not listening to dance music what do you listen to um uh, so yeah if I'm not listening to dance music then I um it's a variety of things um I like different like styles of rock music or like some oldies or like Queen. I love Queen, Freddie Mercury. Um, yeah, like not country or anything like <laughs> that. Um, I didn't but, know Toronto was big on country music, especially being a being somebody who was born in Italy but of Polish descent. You know, it doesn't seem like country would kind of be in your repertoire. I grew up with country music no, every Sunday. But, My dad insisted on it while we cleaned the house. And I'm like, okay, but you're listening to Queen and Supertramp and, you know, Fleetwood Mac. And then he bring in this country music. And he goes, it's either country or classical music. Most of the time I'd opt in for classical. But yeah, I grew oh, up listening sure. to country music. So I, I grew up in a small town. So it was very country music influenced. Um, but I, I, I never got into it. And does your family come from a musical background? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so my parents are both professional musicians. They have their masters in music. Um, they also have their teaching as well. Um, so my mom has perfect pitch, the gift of perfect pitch. Um, sometimes I'll like, I'll get into a song, whether um, usually like a pop song or, or something that has cool piano in it and, I'll just play it and I'll be like, teach me the melody. And she'll like, listen for one second and like play with two hands. And I'm like, like just the melody, just the right. Hand. <laughs> um, so 
I feel like I definitely have like the music um, kind of in my genes. Uh, same with my my older brother. I only, I only have one sibling, my brother. Um, so he's also like into uh, DJing and more more so on the production side. Um, so we both kind of have that musical interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that definitely helps. Yeah. I, one question I ask a lot of DJs, or when I ask DJs producers, is um, do you, would you recommend that DJs learn music theory to become a better DJ? Do you think that would help them? Uh, you know, some producers say yes, it would help. Some producers like no, you don't really need to do that. If you know, if you know how to beat match, you know your keys, and you know you're practicing how to tell your story. You're coming across it's not just random bangers, as you mentioned earlier. You know, just banger, banger, banger. You know, you're trying to tell a story and create a vibe. You know. Um, but some, some do say, yeah, they think it would help. And obviously growing up in a musical household, I'm sure you just like, I, I grew up in an entrepreneurial household and, you know, um, and the, the things that business was very ingrained in my soul in a competitive household, a sports household as well. Um, you know, with that kind of go get it mentality that kind of seeps in vicariously or, um, subconsciously, you know, and, um, that happens. So. That's awesome. And speaking of competitions, do you ever do any DJ competitions? Because you are a pretty competitive person. You're you're into sports, and we'll talk about that in a second. But have you ever participated in, in a DJ competition? Yeah, back in the day. I mean, I haven't heard of any DJ competitions in a long time. Uh, but I I've done uh, some some like DJ competitions where you have to like submit a, a mix, like a twenty minute mix, um, and I've done. DJ competitions like at like a bar downtown or a venue downtown or something. Uh, but that's like 15 years ago. probably. You're right. I don't think I've heard of a DJ competition or remix. I, wow. Because usually that was to get exposure. You know, I would see it would be kind of an exposure thing. You win the competition. Yay. I won this accolade. But now with so much access to online distribution, I think a lot of people be like, I'll just create my own channel. I'll create my own YouTube. I'll create my own SoundCloud and I'll push that out to the world. Maybe that's, it's another level of competition, I guess, is another, what I said happened in 2020. I called it the, for, for, for anyone on going online was the look at me year because every other post you saw on social media was look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Cause I'm streaming, I'm streaming, I'm streaming, I'm streaming. And yeah. everybody in the world was streaming and after doing this show for you know ten years and, and being in internet distribution, podcasting, and then broadcast before that, I kind of sat back and went, okay, we're gonna take a break for a second, and we're gonna get some stuff in order while everyone's playing the look at me game. We're gonna kick back and like formulate, get our company and get our ducks in a row and get everything ready to go for 2021 and beyond. And uh, we didn't actually start streaming again, I think, till later in the year um, on 2020. But even then you know, it kind of extended a lot longer and people were still doing that. But then as things started to open back up, people started going back to doing in-person events. And we saw what I had predicted in 2020, that there would be, there was a rise like 60 to 80% content creation of, of everyone jumping online. Well, that's going to start trickling off once things start opening back up. And it, my prediction was pretty spot on, but those that are still doing it strong are, are having it and they're, they're doing really successful in it. That being said, moving over to sports, you're competitive in sports. You recently competed in the Vancouver Open 
volleyball <laughs> tournament, but you were also DJing the event at the same time? Yeah, yeah. I, I did a lot better on the DJing side. <laughs> How did that work out? Was it like in between sets, in between matches, you like, let me jump over on the decks? Or was it like, okay, I finished or... I played and then you went on. Tell us how that all worked out. Yeah, yeah. So that was actually super cool. I, I'm, I'm such a delayed poster on my socials. I still have to like post pictures and, and videos from that. But um, no, so the Vancouver Open um, is an open level tournament, which means just like professionals, people who do this for a living that play. Um, people like me who don't do it for a living but are competitive players, um, there's a qualifier round. So you like pay and you can get in and you play. Um, so we didn't make it out of the qualifier, which is okay. I mean, that's <laughs> expected. Um, even if we did, we'd probably get like booted out in the, in the elimination round because <laughs> um, the, the female winner is like a – former Team Canada Olympian that won the whole event. <laughs> no, 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 no setting the bar high there, you know. My volleyball partner and our, and our friends are uh, like, there's four of us that went, we were going to go just to watch and, and cheer on our friends who are the pros who are competing. Um, and then we're like, well, we're traveling all this way. We're already here. Let's just play. Like, let's play some high level ball with, people we've never played against so it was such a cool experience um so uh in terms of the djing part um yeah so i only played on on one day and then i was djing um on the the saturday and the sunday um on on center court so there was another dj there as well um and we we kind of took turns uh I, I i think i did most of like the the female like the women's matches um, cause they would kind of flip back and forth. So like I'd play a set and then, and then we would switch and he would play. Um, and it was cool because it was like a continue, it was like a whole DJ set. Whereas if you're watching like the pros, uh, professional, like, uh, two on two volleyball, they'll play just clip clips of tracks when the whistle blows, like when the, when it's a live game, oh. there's no music. Okay. Um, which is great too, and it and, and it works as well. But the, how they did it at the Vancouver Open, it's like they just wanted the continuous music, and it's kind of like a fun party vibe. Like it was, it was so much fun. Like it, it was just so cool, combining two of my passions at the same time. Like I was like I was I was just so happy. I was like it was it was just mind blowing. And and not only like that, it's like. It's in Vancouver. There's mountains in the background. Like one of my other major passions is snowboarding. So I'm just like, this is kind of almost three. And the, I know it's summer, but there's some snow at the top. And I'm like, ah, this is just so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I wanted to jump back a little bit. You're right. Vancouver is a very beautiful city. Um, I assume you're speaking of Vancouver, BC, right? There's not another one. Yeah. Not I, had somebody, I, I had somebody the other day say, oh yeah, I've been to Seattle over on the East coast. And I'm like, I don't think there's Seattle on the East Coast. <laughs> but um, no, Vancouver and uh, um, Whistler, Blackcomb, is phenomenal up there in the summertime if you ever get a chance to to make it out there and stay. It's not just the ski resort. It's like so much stuff to do up there. We used no, to go up there. As a, I've only been in the yeah. winter there. Yeah, it's, it's awesome there. But um, something you mentioned right at the beginning is, is that you drove all the way out there oh, not flew. looking – not, oh, flu. I'm sorry. Yeah, flu. Flu. What am I thinking? Toronto. 
Vancouver. We, yeah. I, we just drove down from Seattle. We just drove from Seattle to Tucson to Tempe, Phoenix, Arizona. That was like 22 hours in our mobile studio. And I will never do that ever again. Um, and I've driven cross country when we got our mobile studio from Jacksonville, Florida to Seattle, Washington, taking the South route and going up. So never do that ever again. <laughs> but um, uh, you went to um, the tournament, not expecting to compete. And I think one of the coolest things is that you took, you said, you know what, we're going to do it anyways. We're here. Why not? And something that rings back in my head is that if you only play people that are below your level, you'll never advance. Totally. So putting yourself out there and just saying, you know what, we're going out there. If we lose, we lose. But at least we're, we're challenging ourselves. And so I want to commend you on taking that on. And, you know, because some people would be fear like, I'm going to get my ass kicked. I'm not going to play. Yeah. You know, and then they might later on say, you know what? It would have been really cool if we would have entered in the tournament just to get our asses kicked. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so that, we didn't get our asses kicked, at least. We, we, were, we, were, we were competitive. You were competitive, yeah. I mean, but, match, so. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, it reminds me of like, you know, looking at the old days when I would be a little nervous to get on the dance floor. And then yeah. once I got on the dance floor, you couldn't get me off the dance floor for three to four hours, you know, and, and it kind of led to a confidence boost for me of, of almost stage performance of, of you could think of my early days as I didn't start being on camera until later in my life, but being on stage and, and I would make it a point to get up on the stage and be in front of everyone in front of 50, a hundred, 500, 5,000 people dancing it really was like a confidence booster but if i had never taken that chance and just i'm gonna stand on the wall and drink my soda pop or drink my beer or whatever you know and kick it um you know it's, it's just a confidence booster going up and taking a challenge and i just wanted to commend that say that's awesome okay. a couple more questions here before we let you get going though um what are your thoughts on the dj mag top 100 uh i <laughs> I never really analyzed it before. <laughs> I mean, it's been around forever. Like, since I think I started. Um, I haven't really paid attention to it, to be honest, for many years. But back in the day when I started, I would definitely pay attention and notice where my favorite artists were going up or down. Um, but, I mean, it, it's for, like, the, the international superstars. So, um I guess it could be a good way too of discovering other international names you haven't heard of, mm -hmm. but I haven't really, like, I don't really pay much attention to it anymore. Maybe I should. <laughs> you know, with, with so many things, I mean, obviously it was a magazine kind of ahead of time, been out there for a long time. And now with the ability for companies to create websites, blogs, and, and have online things, do you use 1001 track list by any chance? No. A really awesome site. They did a write up on us, and I'm not trying to give them a plug because they gave us a plug. But it's a really awesome site where DJs can go and upload their mixes, and then it kind of tracks whose whose tracks are being played, and then they kind of get a comprehensive report at the end of the year of what is really being played out there and who's being played. Um, you know, it's a really cool website. One thousand one tracklist, uh, a great resource tool too to see what's what's hot out there as well. But yeah, I mean the DJ Mag. Top 100, you know, some people say it's like a popularity list, you know, yeah. or, or it's like, yeah, you know. Like, it was always the trans guys, I remember, that were always at the top because I, trans just had a bigger following, and they mm -hmm. still did. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's Tech House, I think it was Tech House, 
House and Trance are the top three right now. But I was talking with Andy Caldwell yesterday, and um, I don't know if you know Andy, but um, he was saying, is Breakbeats making a comeback? You know, and and will it will it become that wave? And like all of a sudden, you're gonna start hearing a lot of breakbeats out in the club. And like I don't know, I'm not in our market, but I don't know. Um, it's, I find with like music can maybe be like fashion too. Like you know, things kind of come back. It maybe it could be a fad or a short term thing, or maybe it'll like rebrand itself, like mm-hmm. have a new twist on it. But because breaks always did mix well with house, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely stay more on the house side. And speaking of mixes, you're going to be sending us an exclusive mix from a penthouse party, private penthouse party on Canada Day. Tell us about your involvement with that event. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a really cool party um, at at a penthouse suite. So the whole rooftop is the rooftop of the building, oversees uh, the skyline and the CN Tower. Um, and I knew I was coming on the show. So, um, and I did want to participate with the mix and the video as well. So I made sure that I brought my GoPro. Um, I recorded like the video recording of the set. I also recorded like the MP3 of the set. It's just under two hours. Um, and it was, it was just such a great time. Like, great people like overseeing the skyline uh, and it was a bit iffy we wanted to start at sunset uh but we had to delay because of weather uh there was some rain and even during <laughs> during the set some rain actually starts to fall and i'm like oh my god my equipment <laughs> we pulled down this like uh covering thing um it didn't rain too hard but they were like huge drops only for a short time but it didn't like kill the vibe of the party or anything people kept uh there was some coverage that people could kind of take shelter um but uh yeah it was just it was just such a cool time and also come just with the whole like pandemic and just kind of people getting together at parties again and just having a good time um it was it was just it was fun i was i was just super excited to to record the set and i was like oh my god i better not mess up anything and I, i'm very happy with the recording and i can't wait to, to it. I, I keep listening to it like when i train uh at beach volleyball or playing um i'll bring like my speaker hanging on the on the post there and like i just because it's such a long mix and like it, it's there's a bunch of rufus du soul tracks in there so we all my friends we all, we're really big fans so, uh yeah so it's really fun I can't wait to hear it or watch it actually. And you know, yeah. you talking about that just got me to reminisce when we first started doing our rooftop sessions parties back in 2017. And we would do this at some really prominent, notable buildings in Seattle with beautiful views and, and come up. And I, I think, you know, we do them once a month on Wednesdays and, and just invite, and they just started picking up and getting steam in 2017, 2018 into 2019. I think it was one of, one of my, um, the word funner doesn't exist, but I'm going to say one of my more funner events, <laughs> not my funnest event, funner <laughs> events, but, but now, um, you know, we will look to start those parties back up. I think the rooftop parties from a six to 10 PM vibe midweek it, during the summer is just that kind of cool, nice break that you need. It's not a nightclub vibe. It's, it's a rooftop vibe. We can bring usually barbecue a little bit, you know, bring food by, 
Um, everyone's there. They're, it's relaxed. It's kind of like after hour, happy hour. And then they can still go out on a Wednesday if they wanted to go out. Um, but I just, I loved being up just high up and looking out over the city and, and, and just being there. And everyone just always had a great time and we'd stream live from there and have a great group of DJs, locals that would come and play those. So uh, I can't wait to hear that set and then watch, watch that set, watch that set. I got to remember, watch that set. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to wrap things up here right now. If, if, is there anything else you want to let our DJ sessions fans know about before we let you go? Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to download any of my mixes, uh, you can go to my website, djalexandra.com. And um, I'm going to be posting up a lot more uh, mixes in the coming weeks. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, reach out to me on social media, follow me on Instagram. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. And there's so many questions. I, guys, I wish I could like... <laughs> answer them all but yeah, you can always <laughs> <tell> me. <laughs> they the, the theme is that we like to them have to come in and bombard we kind of they're asking from a certain specific question list that we've given them that they've they've kind of been vetted so we make sure that we're not getting crazy questions in there we have a mod that kind of moderates everything but uh yeah there's tons of questions that go in there but they're all coming from the dj sessions in a sense of things so um yeah it's we'll have to get you back on the show and get some of these questions answered. Yeah. I, Definitely I will follow that. up with you. Awesome. Well, Alexandra, thank you so much for coming on the DJ sessions today. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. It's been an honor uh, to chat with you. Thank you. You're welcome. On that note, don't forget to go to our website, thedjsessions.com. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, Meta, anywhere out there. But really, go to our website, thedjsessions.com. We have news stories, over 600 news stories a month. We have exclusive mixes. We have interviews. We have our own live streams that we do. We are now also featured on Roku, Apple TV, Amazon, and Google Play. You can watch our streams live there as well, download our app, and check out our VR nightclubs. But all that information is at thedjsessions.com. I'm your host, Darren, and that's Alexander coming in from Toronto, Canada. I'm in the virtual studios in Seattle, Washington, for the DJ Sessions presents the virtual sessions. And remember, on the DJ Sessions, the music never stops. <laughs>